No surprise that male hormones go up at puberty, but does that make young American males more at risk for testicular cancer if they admit to smoking pot daily? You're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a special segment focusing on men's health. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, your host, and with me today is Dr. Stephen Schwartz, noted researcher and professor of epidemiology at the University of Washington. Dr. Schwartz is at the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center, and he's done pioneering work in his area of expertise, which has been oral and genital carcinomas, uterine leomyomas, and testicular carcinoma, which is what we're going to talk about today. We are discussing the association of daily marijuana use and the rising incidence of testicular germ cell tumors, non-seminomas. We're glad to have you with us today at ReachMD, Dr. Schwartz. Thank you for inviting me. So tell us a little bit about the research. You've been doing a lot of work in your life on oral and genital cancers. What triggered you to look into testicular cancer? More than 10 years ago now, I had been looking for some new directions to my research and had always been intrigued by testicular cancer, partly because I had some friends who had suffered from that disease and also because from an epidemiologic standpoint, we really hadn't advanced our knowledge of what might be the cause of these cancers in probably over two to three decades. And since we knew the incidence was rising, it seemed to me a good time to try and apply some some new approaches and ask some new questions about these tumors. Can you begin for our audience and for myself reminding us about the types of testicular cancer and a little bit about their risk factors and outcomes? Because if you don't work with this every day, we tend to forget. Absolutely. Well, there are two major ways that we group testicular cancer in that we buy the histology, the appearance under the microscope, and the two groupings are what are called seminomas, and these are cancers that have characteristics that look a lot like our germ cells, the sperm that men generate in their testes. And then there's another group that we call non-seminomas, and it's just a hodgepodge of different histologic appearances that don't look anything like germ cells, but look like other kinds of tissue. They can look like bone, they can look like embryonal cells, a variety of different things. So they're more diverse in their histology. Right. And it's those non-seminomas that are the ones that require the most intensive treatment in order to cure. The cure rates are quite high, but require uh, large amounts of chemotherapy and radiation therapy in order to keep the cancer at bay. Now, are both types of testicular cancer on the rise? They are. Initially, it was seemed that it was only these seminomas that were increasing, but more recent analyses of national data have shown that the non-seminomas also are increasing. Now, what do we know about risk factors for either or both types of testicular cancer? What we know about risk factors is seems to apply to both types of testicular cancer, as far as we can tell, and there's actually not much known. We know, aside from the fact, of course, that this disease affects primarily adolescent and young adult men. It affects men who are white as opposed to people, men of color. And the two main distinguishing other risk factors are that men who've had an undescended testes are at very high increased risk of testicular cancer, about, oh, anywhere from three to tenfold. And then uh, men who have a family history, particularly who have a brother or a father who've had testicular cancer, are at greatly increased risk. For example, men whose brother had testicular cancer are themselves at at least tenfold increased risk. 
And when you mention undescended testes, does this apply to some children at birth have undescended testes initially and later on it descends, or are these undescended testes beyond that cycle? Well, the best of the research that's been done suggests that when the testes do descend and the earlier they descend, either by natural descent or by surgical descent, that the risk tends to be, the risk of testicular cancer tends not to be quite as high in those men. If a man has a sort of a long-standing undescended testes, either uncorrected or never descended on its own, that's where the risk is particularly high. Now, I was really interested to think that we know anything about marijuana receptors, or maybe it's referred to correctly as THC receptors, and testicular tissue. So let's assume our listeners know nothing about that. What can you tell us? Over the past, I would say, decade or so, it's become increasingly clear that marijuana and some of its constituents, particularly THC, uh, interact in our body with one of two different kinds of receptors. They're called cannabinoid receptors, and they are present in many, many tissues of our body. Initially, they were thought just to be in the brain and in the testes, which is part of what got us interested in studying marijuana and testicular cancer. But now we find them in many cells, including cells of the immune system, for example, and other neurological tissue other than the brain. And we don't know a huge amount about exactly how the interactions work between the constituents of marijuana and these receptors, but we also know that there are, all of us have what we call endogenous or natural incurring cannabinoids, compounds that mimic and, and structurally look a lot like THC. And so our bodies obviously have evolved to use these receptors and these natural compounds, let's say, endogenous to ourselves for some reasons. And the fact that marijuana as a drug is also available and can be used in illicit effects is not surprising. Out of all the environmental concerns with cancer, what led you to look at marijuana, or how did that begin to get your attention and phase out? There were a few things. I mentioned earlier that the early knowledge about these cannabinoid receptors suggested that the testes were one place where they were expressed and the other one being the brain. So that sort of got us interested initially. And we were also aware at the time that there was evidence that marijuana had effects on male hormone or hormone-stimulating compounds. And the incidence of or the use of marijuana, of course, has been rising for many decades. And I wouldn't say necessarily exactly parallel with the rise in testicular cancer rates, but Still, the fact that both were sort of going on roughly at the same time suggested this was worth taking a look at. Now, marijuana has been associated with male infertility and poor sperm quality already. Am I correct? There are some studies that suggest that that's correct. I believe that it is a quite possible association. The fact is we just don't have a lot of that kind of research, and most of the studies are not particularly large. So to sort of say that it's a a sort of a slam-dunk association there is beyond where I would make a conclusion. If you're just joining the discussion, you're listening to a special segment focusing on men's health on ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, and I'm speaking today with Dr. Stephen Schwartz, researcher and epidemiologist, and we're discussing a study on the incidence of testicular tumors, non-seminomas, and marijuana usage in young men. So how did you test your hypothesis, and how was the study conducted? Because I think that's what our listeners would like to know. Yes. Well, starting in about 2000, we received funding to do a fairly expansive study of risk factors for testicular cancer. And we initially were focusing primarily on genetics, but measuring things like marijuana use was designed as part of the study as well. And basically, 
what we did was up here in the Seattle metropolitan area, we identified all men who were diagnosed with testicular cancer during a particular time period, relatively recent time period, and a group of uh, matched uh, similarly young men who live in the area as well. And we interviewed these men and asked them questions about their risk factor history, including marijuana use. And then after we collected the data, that's where we did the analyses. And when we studied the marijuana questions, we were able to learn some things about how the use of marijuana seemed to be associated with the risk of testicular cancer. Now, you broke these men into two groups, did you? The ones who had seminomas and the ones who had non-seminomas? Did you, did you ask these questions of both groups? That's correct. In fact, when we asked the questions, the people who did the interviewing didn't know which kinds of tumors the men had. And what we found in our analyses was that the association between using marijuana frequently and the risk of testicular cancer was pretty much limited to the men who had developed non-seminomas. So was the end for both groups comparable, and were the results statistically significant between the two groups? The men with, we had fewer of the men with non-seminomas, I'd say about two-thirds the number. And the, but the results in that group were quite statistically significant, and there was some evidence from analyses that we could even statistically distinguish between the non-seminomas and the seminomas in these analyses. Could you say this effect is not seen in older chronic marijuana users because these germ cell and non-germ cell tumors are pertinent to certain age groups? So do we have any data on older chronic users or you really can't test the hypothesis because it's a different setting? It would be a different setting. Testicular cancer in older men, we only studied men up to 44 years of age when they were diagnosed and testicular cancer is quite uncommon after that. And in fact, in, in older ages, the types of tumors, it's a whole other class of testicular tumors that is not really comparable in terms of what we understand about how they develop to the ones that we studied. The seminomas themselves are an older group, correct? Like 30 to 45, and the non-seminomas are 20 to 35. That's absolutely right. Would you go so far as to say that may have something to do with the effect that you saw, that the marijuana was at a time in their life that they were more vulnerable? It's really very difficult for us to know why we found a association that was specific to the non-seminomas. We accounted for age in all of our analyses, and it's certainly true that the men who were younger tended to be heavier users, but in theory that should have all been accounted for in our analyses. Has any of this been looked at in countries that have even greater marijuana use than ours? To my knowledge, there are no other studies of this question that have been conducted in the U.S. or elsewhere, so I don't know. What about the, the influence of a geographical region? Did all your study participants come from the Washington or Seattle area? Yeah, they all lived here at the time that they were diagnosed, although they may have grown up and maybe done a large part of their marijuana smoking somewhere else. So there could be other confounding factors. I always wonder about pesticides, other environmental concerns, since marijuana is not at least yet regulated by the FDA and the conditions it's grown in probably kind of varied. Yes, that's a, a very good point to bring up. We don't know anything, of course, about the types of marijuana, where it was grown, under what conditions. And something we had not considered when we wrote our paper is that it's not implausible that what we see in our study has you know, little to do with marijuana per se. It has more to do with the conditions under which it was grown. And that would have to be something that would have to be explored in a more detailed study. So is there plans to replicate the studies that you've done? Where do you go from here? Well, we have a couple of different kinds of plans. In our own group, we are uh, continuing to recruit subjects, and so 
certainly the first thing we'd want to see is whether we can see the same thing again with a, a new independent group of individuals. We have colleagues conducting a similar study on the East Coast, and they have been using our questionnaire as part of their study, so they eventually will have similar data available. And the other track that we're pursuing here is to understand whether there's sort of genetic susceptibility to how our bodies process marijuana. And if that is the case, can we see in our study that this association that we found is particularly present in men who seem to have this underlying susceptibility to, for example, make more of the particular metabolite that might be most important. So I guess it's safe to say from what you said that marijuana use is on the rise in the younger age group? Well, over the past several decades it has been. I think every year when the federal government puts out some report, you hear different things about whether it's holding steady or going up a little bit or going down. And I'm not sure what the latest trend data are in that respect. I'm sorry. Yeah, recently, I think they've been saying it's it's going down, but they take certain age groups, such as certain years of high school, et cetera. And I think that your study looked at over how many years back, 30 years back? Well, certainly since our study went, included men up to age 44, it could have gone 30 or more years back in time, and certainly covering a period of past 30 to 40 years when marijuana use was rapidly increasing. Now, given that this is an exploratory or an initial study and that you're going to have, one would have to do more work to have some solid findings and see where it's going, but even so, could you make any comments on the frequency of use? Or does you think the occasional user, if they were young enough, would have some risk also? From our data, it certainly seems that the occasional users would not be at much or any increased risk. Pretty much all of the association we've found was due to men who uh, smoked every day or more. Every day is kind of a lot, the way I look at it. But in our population, that group was not small. About 10% of the men in our study were daily users. So it's not, it's not a trivial number of individuals. Has anyone else looked at other environmental concerns besides marijuana that were implicated in uh, non-seminomas? Not specifically for non-seminomas, but there's been a lot of interest in pollutants in our environment that came from pesticides or industrial chemicals, and some people believe that those chemicals are responsible for the rise in testicular cancer over the past 30 to 40 years. And there are a few studies that have been published on that topic, one of which we published, and the evidence is quite mixed right now as to whether any of those kind of chemicals is related to testicular cancer. Very good. Thank you, Dr. Swartz. We've learned a lot today. You are very much welcome. We want to thank Dr. Stephen Swartz for being our guest today. We've been discussing testicular tumors and marijuana usage in young men. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson. You've been listening to a special segment focusing on men's health on Reach MD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. And thank you for listening.